The following episode is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Good day, mates. Hey, friends. Natalie here. This is part two of our episode, We the People. So please do yourselves a favor. If you have not listened to part one, press pause to this episode, go back and listen to the episode titled Part One, We the People, so you don't miss the full conversation. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and stay blessed. Now for part two. Let's get started. So, okay, <laughs> let's transition into systemic racism and the power of money. Okay? Because you like the monies. I like the money part. Meaning I don't like the money part, but it's interesting. We all know money makes the world go around, right? Mm. And people who have wealth or just people in general know that money, you invest it, it grows. And the most powerful way that this wealth reproduces, re- just regenerates, regenerates and keeps growing is through land and housing. So, guess what we did in America in the 1930s? The 30s. We did a zoning policy called redlining that created black-owned homes in the U.S. worth less than white-owned homes. Black, mo- black people moving into neighborhoods were driving the real estate prices down. Mm. Okay? And so an example of this would be you have a predominantly white community. And slowly people of color start moving in. And then more people of color start moving in. And then you start redlining them. Which now, this redlining is not granting loans to people of of color, black people specifically. Communities and properties lose value, giving them no true resources to thrive, right? And then it goes into no funding for schools, no access to the best education, no access to nutritious foods, um, which we could say, maybe an example of this could be Compton. Mm. Compton used to be predominantly white. And now it is one of the most, quote unquote, dangerous cities in California. Okay. And so redlining has created such a heartbreaking reality that we don't even, we don't even understand. We can't even begin to understand how this impacts black people and people of color, right? And I'm starting to shake because this makes me so it makes me so sad, right? And it, and I and this is me, and I couldn't imagine how black people feel, right, about this. Is that this impacts the wage gap by race, making it more impossible to get ahead, but it's subtle. And we have to consider this as an example. This is this is what this is how the housing market is impacting black people and people of color. If you 
invest $100 in 1863, that $100 in 2018 amounts to $3.5 million. Hmm. And the time frame is necessary to understand because white people have been owning slaves that part. and property for that amount of time and forever, right? And so, so this is compound this is called compounding interest, right? And the wealth at this point is self-generated because of property values. It's perpetual. And the ability to continue to purchase land and other investments from the money that your home has made you. White people are getting richer every day by the blessing of their ancestors. Black people and people of color are still only getting by and living paycheck to paycheck, and they don't always own homes. So there's a, um, another content recommendation, um, a Netflix series called um, Explained. Um, Explained has, you know, they do multiple quick little educational videos. And there is one um, called The Racial Wage Gap. And so they give this little um, statistic. The median white household the median white household's wealth, when you look at their savings plus their assets minus their debts, is $171,000. That's minus the debt. Minus the debt. The median black household's wealth, when you consider their savings and their assets minus their debts, is $17,600. As of 2016, and it is still growing. So that, that piece that we saw, because that's the redlining piece. Right. Who's, who's AOC's boyfriend? Who's her boyfriend? No, not AOC. Um, I can't remember who he's, who he, Rosar, uh, Rosario Dawson. Mm. Cory Booker. Oh, yeah, Cory Booker. Yes. Cory Booker. His dad, his parents try to buy a house. Right. 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 They don't. They're, they deny him selling the house, da, 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 you can't come into this neighborhood, la, 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 right? Yeah. So then they send in their white friends to get this same house. No right. problem. Right. No problem. So this gets, this gets win to, to some lawyers, uh, NAACP, and so they're, they're going to do an investigation on this, right? Yeah. So they go to the real estate agent who brokered this deal, and they're like, hey, you said that I couldn't get this house, but you gave it to, to this family and, and they're worse off than we are. Yeah. And he was so upset, the real estate agent, right? Infuriated that yeah. he was being yeah. confronted by this. Right. Infuriated, like yelling and screaming that if you move into this neighborhood, the property value is going to go down. Mm -hmm. It was like he was bleeding anger. Mm -hmm. And what does he do? He releases his dog. Yeah. yeah. On Cory Booker's dad. Yeah. To yeah. attack him. Yeah. Because we can't live in the same neighborhood as white people. And I have that, Black people that, can. that story ingrained in my head about redlining. I, that I'll always make that connection to that because it's, which 
is a good transitional point. And one of the reasons why I did want Bartley for you to watch that documentary. And I, I was worried about whether or not you were going to gonna watch it. I watched it this morning. You did. You did. And, um, but I was worried that you weren't. And to go back to what we were talking about earlier about there's so many resources or you know people, right, that can recommend specific content for you to learn more about it. But have you ever gone out of your way to find something like that to try to understand a little bit more about stuff that we've been talking about even within the last year that we've known you? Like since we've been hanging out, have you said, you know what, I think I want to research this a little bit more. And, and yourself actively gone to, to research anything? Um, I would say not unless it's recommended to me like, like that. Like, I'm not out, outwardly, like, researching right. for that. Partly because I don't have a lot of free time on my hands. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I, got, I got two little ones running around at home, plus full-time job, plus here, plus right. you know, a lot of other things. But if it's recommended to me, absolutely, I'll sit down and watch it. Um, but it's not something that I seek out. Which is interesting to me because your little ones that you have right now, they're Latinos, mm -hmm. right? So in preparing for that, they're obviously not going to have the experience that you've had in life. So I would think that, oh, man, I better educate myself on the, on the type of life they're about to set out and live because it's going to be 100% different than, than my experience, right? to try to comprehend that a little bit better. But what were your, your ultimate thoughts about um, the documentary? Number one, I fully understand it because um, I don't know if you know this about me, but I was a criminal justice major. You were? Mm -hmm. No kidding. So <laughs> I did I, not know that about you. I, I um, initially went to school to be a cop. Why did you want to be a cop? Just was something I always wanted to do. My, um, my degree is also in criminal justice. Oh, God. There you go. So <laughs> I took classes on criminology and, and all this other stuff and I and stati crime statistics, mm. um, all sorts of different stuff. So I've like I've seen it in my education. You know, the system is not set up well for people of color, mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. And watching this documentary, like I, I everything that was in the documentary, I kind of already knew. The one thing I mentioned to you is. What the documentary doesn't address is accountability. There's there's no accountability for some of the crimes that are committed, and that was my only issue with it. Like I, uh, all the other Can stuff. Can you explain is, that like a little bit further? There was a, uh, an example of a woman who um, was caught transporting uh, a large amount of cocaine. She got caught and she got sentenced to a life in prison, and they were saying like that's unfair. Like, yeah, it's it was it's her first offense. Her first offense, but that's the 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 sentence for that offense, right? If you get caught with that amount of cocaine, so I didn't feel like like I felt like she made the decision to do that, and because she got caught, like that's her, that's the accountability. Can I say? There are lots of examples that you can find if you just search online. The difference between crimes being committed by white people and crimes being committed by black people from the same courts with the same judges and them getting different sentences. The black person's crime is usually sentenced 
and they're usually persecuted to the highest extent of the law, whereas the white people are not always persecuted, not and by far margin, to the highest extent of the law. Even with just like talking about um, George Floyd and like Chauvin getting getting the twenty-two years he got, like there are people who have done less and have have had it documented that they have done less and have gotten more years in prison simply because they are black. So like so right. like her, she she got twenty years for transporting cocaine. He got 22 years for murdering someone. Mm. 22 problem. years for murdering someone in plain sight. Right. And she got 20 years. Now, what... But so the, so in, in murder, there's different statutes of murder. And his, his degree of murder doesn't fall under the premeditated murder. So he's not going to get life in prison. You don't think that that was premeditated? In a legal sense, Re no. Yeah, I was going to say, regardless, that's not, because of the way that the justice system works, that's not necessarily, like, relevant because because of the way that they see, like, crimes being committed and what 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 necessitates a pre, a, a, what is it called? The reason, why, the, the reason why I said premeditated, because homeboy is white. He didn't give a shit. He's, it, it's almost as if, if I have an opportunity to kill somebody black, I'm going to do it. It's in his mind. It's who he is. It's how he thinks. It's how he disregards human that, life. That's, that's that, for me, an ingrained premeditation. That might be true. But it doesn't matter because... No, no, no. But how do you prove that? Right. History. How they're taught. How cops are trained. So how can, how can, you, how can you, for that individual, actually prove that in a court of law that he premeditatedly murdered that George Floyd? Right. You can't. Which is why, and, and there's not a prosecutor in the country that's going to charge him. Because all the prosecutors degree. are white. No, not, not all the prosecutors Well, because are white. they can't. It's like if you try to get him for something that he, legally speaking, did not yeah. do, then he's going to get he's off get for off. the crime. You have to is, get him for what he, you can actually get a conviction for. Yeah, it's a Which whole is thing. why they charged him with a lesser offense. Because so, they wanted to get him in prison is right. the thing. They were like... If they would have charged him with first-degree murder, he's out on the street. Right. Because he didn't, you can't prove first-degree murder in that case. The reason they got him was they got a lesser murder charge. It's the best you can do kind of scenario, right. like, unfortunately. No. Right. But unfortunately. that goes back to you saying the system is working it perfectly. Is perfectly. Mm. It's flawless. The system mm. is flawless. But the, to go back to how you... like. Hey, in this woman's case of, um, you know, getting her 20 years, one of my best friends, like best, best friends, I love her to death. She did, um, she did a prison sentence because she, you know, did a few runs, but she came from complete and absolute poverty. Like there was no going back to like the redlining thing and the resources that we have available. Like there was no health care, none of that. There right. was nothing that was going to get her out of where she was. Right. Where she was at. Right. So she made the choice to slaying like you got to feed. And she she had kids. Right. She and then not just her kids. She's taking care of her mom, she's taking right. care of her family, because yeah. that's what you do. So so she did that. That's where I went back. Like. it's you. Can I cut in? Yes. It's like there's that. And then there's like. The argument, but like you made the choice and blah, blah, blah. And yes, mm. survival. Exactly. Like the thing is survival. And it's like if we get on government assistance, then there's the whole welfare queen thing that yeah. gets thrown onto us as black people, even though historically we are not the people who take advantage of the system the most like that. Mm -hmm. And then 
just in my own, it's 2021 and I'm looking, I'm on Indeed searching for jobs. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that you can get with a bachelor's degree is an entry level job that pays $13 an hour. But you have like a hundred and something dollars worth of debt to pay just for your student loan. Like there's not even like, there's no, there is, I'm not going to say that there's no opportunity, right? Because like apply for the shit that you don't think that you qualify for. Agreed. By all means, all day, every day. But the thing is, it's like, when what is being shown to you, especially given your your demographic, like where we live, there's a lot of warehouses. You can get mm-hmm. a warehouse job that's not going to pay you shit. Mm-hmm. You get a customer service job that's not going to pay, pay you shit. shit. You may be able to get a managerial job, but the fact is, like, in a lot of places, if you're not living in a metropolitan area, people are aging out of their jobs versus leaving their jobs. So where's the opportunity? There is none. And nobody's trying to pay you more money. Actually, you know what? Shout out to my boss. So I, I'm glad that you said that. Because he, he would say, I used to work directly for the VP of operations. And he used to say, people here, somebody has to die for you to be able to get ahead. And he's white. But he did want to make a change. Like he did try to make opportunity for people and people of color because he allowed me to have a I say he allowed me to have a position there that was able to bring in other people of color and women into positions that had never existed there before for that combination so I'm grateful for him to that it's reverting back to the other way now but that's important you know being able to recognize those the way things are designed the way things are placed where you just feel like, man, there's no room for growth here. Like, I'm not going anywhere. So I am going to slang a little bit because I have to survive. And I think to add to Jasper's point of what's available and what we do with it, let's just say um, you mentioned the job that you could get, right? Let's just say that you are going to get ahead. You have this great job. It's going to pay you X amount. But now, like you mentioned, right? You have to pay your student loan. You have to pay for the home that you can't afford and the utilities and the food and the this and the that, right? Just like your basic needs for, your, for yourself. That's not including your children. Oof. And your children. But then guess what? Now also your family's trying to get ahead. Mom needs a couple hundred dollars. Dad needs this. Cousin needs that. And we want to pour back into our families because we want to help them too. So now... Yeah, you're you you've gotten this job and you got the opportunity, but you're not thriving at the rate that white people are still thriving because you have these debts, you have this family, you have this healthcare that isn't serving you and now all of the money that you've earned is going right back. Right. But it's not all white people that are th- thriving because I'll tell the you the majority. Right, I'm not thriving. Well, see, and that's the thing, right? Like you're not necessarily financially thriving, but there is a benefit that you get just living your life being white. You don't necessarily walk out of your house feeling like today could be the day that some shit happens. I got pulled over mm-hmm. in my car and I was like, holy shit, like this could be the thing. Like this could be the thing. Right. Whereas. And I, we've had that conversation before. Yep. I, I completely like understand. And that's a big benefit. Right. Imagine your brain capacity. Imagine your emotional capacity is being taken up every day by what the fuck if this is the day? And I'm not even a black man. You know what I mean? Like, right. what if this is the day? Right. And, it's and we've, not- had that, we've had these conversations in the studio before. Like, Ricky mm-hmm. and myself and, and Lanier and Mike have had these conversations. Like, 
we had we had a a moment in your apartment back in the day, Ricky, where I was kind of blown away at some of the stories of inherent racism that I was hearing from people when I was growing up. In my point of view, mm-hmm. were respectable people, mm-hmm. and and like Ricky would tell me a story, and I'm like, no, yeah. and Mike would tell me a story about like our elementary school principal, and I'm like, no, mm-hmm. I, like I didn't believe it at first, but I was just like. Obviously, I believe Mike and what he's saying, and it, right, like I get it, I get yeah. it. Or he, hearing about how Ray was pulled over in his own driveway. Remember mm-hmm. that? That's actually what provoked the other conversations that we had as well. But see, like you were shocked with that, right? Like you were At like, first, I can't yeah. believe this. At first, I, but I understand where you guys are coming from. But this is I'm what not, we face every day. Just right, not to interrupt you, but like in that amount of shock that you felt, that is the amount of shock that we feel. Every fucking right. day. And I understand that because I have people of color in my family. Mm-hmm. Like, I've heard these stories before from people in my own family. You can right? empathize. Right. Uh, so, the poll that we did. Um, yes, we had several, right? Right. Um, so, should we talk first about... Hold on. Bear with me here while I try to pull that up. Well, I, I'll start with the one that, that we asked. Is it worth that I did on my page, right? Is it worth talking to white people about their racist microaggressions, right? Mm-hmm. What I found interesting mm-hmm. was that Bartley asked me, what does that even mean? Yes. So then I thought, well, dang, like most people don't even... Under- I just didn't understand your term microaggressions. So the way that I explained it after we had the conversation about how it's just the subtle ways that white people pass on their prejudices and their <sighs> Can I give one? Please. Like when people hear me speak, they're always like, "You're so eloquent." And it's like, mm. "Why would you expect me not to be?" Okay. Mm. When I put that Usually comes from always white, comes from white, white people. people. I had someone who responded to that post who was white who said if you're going to have this conversation, please make sure you do it calmly. Please make sure that you don't come off disrespectful. And I can't remember how. Well, thank you for it. monitoring my tone in my conversation. The right. Heck? So that's that's what I mean by, you know, or or right. like. I just didn't understand it at the time. I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah. Now. It's I the just didn't subtle understand. things, yeah. no, which it. which is what they say that it's the subtle things that are the most destructive. To people, it's the subtle things, right? Because we were talking about the the right wing that's organizing right now that whole movement, right, about white power. The likelihood of us interacting with an extreme racist like that is unlikely, right? But the likelihood of us dealing with the subtle microaggressions of white people, it's a daily occurrence. Daily occurrence. And so those little... There's a painting that Frida Kahlo does that says Los Picatitos de Amor. Like, it just picks away at your heart. It's like a slow death. You're getting all these little, all this little commentary, all this little, no, you can't do this. No, one Mm -hmm. of where I work, you know, I was told, like, you're never going to be in leadership here because you're a woman, you got too many kids, and you're working in a, a white predominant male industry. So my face told that. The reason why I didn't get this job three times, right? So those are examples of just the little things that kill you slowly. That's damaging. So that's what that is. And 
So the majority of the people in, in that poll came back and said that, yes, it's worth it to talk to them about it. 45% felt no. And I think that the no part is because, like, the example. They don't want to deal with the bullshit that goes with it. Or that they think it's not going to make a difference. Right. I was talking to my mom about this, and I'm like, Mom, would you ever say anything? She's like, heck no, it's not going to make a difference. They already are the way that they are, and nothing is going to change. And she, Which, in talking with her about it today, I saw her body language like mm -hmm. get crazy and, and nervous and shaking as well. And then I realized, I didn't even ask my mom, what's been your story? Right. But I knew just with her body language alone. She was reliving it. She was, Yes. She was reliving those those experience and reasons why you don't say anything. Just hush it because my mom came from a small town in Mexico. Yeah. Her being able to come over here and thrive with a, just a high school degree, she's not going to compromise any of that. She's not going to try and go back to that. So she's, she has to shut up, work, put your head down and go. And that's what you're going to do. And But that... <sighs> yeah. There's a lot of sighing in this one. Yeah. Um, so... On the on this frequency page, um, the question was asked: Do you feel comfortable talking about about racism to white people? Forty six percent said yes. Fifty four percent said no. The forty six percent that said yes um, were males. All mm -hmm. that said no were females, which I I felt like that had to be said. Um, on my page, I asked um, what people's experiences have been with racism. And so I have a couple. Um, someone said, when I was in Georgia, I was not allowed in a place because of how I looked. They said I looked like a walking fiesta. I had a rose in my hair. Yeah, someone you get called a piñata. I can see the piñata you know I mean? instead. Someone said... And they have, um, for context, they have an indigenous Mexican name. Um, they had questions about her name and comments about not having an accent. Like that she didn't have an accent? She did not have an like accent. Like how could you have a name that's, like that's that? That's the microaggression, right? Uh, yes. Uh, there you You're go. learning. I got it. I just, <laughs> had to, I just needed that initial explanation. <laughs> and then I have another one. Um, this one's a little bit long, so bear with me here. Um, this is, okay, so here goes. So I'll, I'll preface with this. My family before starting school was very loving and caring and would both recognize me being black and Mexican and would make it a point to tell me how beautiful I am, skin, hair, overall background, everything. At that age, there was no lack of coincidence. LOL. She said, my first week of kindergarten, I was excited and nervous on this new venture. Well, by the end of the week during recess, a kid pointed out something. I want to say we were talking about rules of a game. And after I gave my answer, he told me, you are never going to be right because you are the wrong color. Damn. I obviously don't remember a lot of childhood stuff, but this one sticks out. I remember crying and going home, still crying, scratching at my skin, saying I didn't want to be this color anymore. My mom, being Mexican, really didn't know how to handle this situation. But my dad, being black, and my aunt, being Mexican, did what they could by showing black women and women of color that were beautiful and telling me to love myself. I still think this affects me to this day. 
my inner child needs some work. But it's crazy that a family can fill you with love, positivity, and affirmation so young, and things can unravel so fast when hate is spoken. Mm. And on the other one, someone else's family can teach them hate so young. Perfect example of what we said right. earlier. You're right? what, like five in kindergarten? Right. Yeah. Five. Who's teaching their five year old? Uh, we know somebody. I know, but like, <laughs> that, <laughs> we, that, back, we know somebody. That, that, that back almost, to the example. That makes that makes me like choke up because like, f- like that child is so innocent, right? In that moment, right, right. And right. because you're teaching hate to your five year old, you're ruining their innocence. And by mm-hmm. you ruining their innocence, they're gonna go out and ruin somebody somebody else's. Which clearly this already fucking has. pisses me off. Yeah. Do you want the mic, real quick? Like, actually, no. You, you're you gonna should. have to because no, there's yeah, gonna be just, a little. There you go. Grab Bart, least. Oh. Ray's got some feedback. <laughs> we gotta hear what Ray has to say. Barteus. Um, so you saying that? You saying that reminds me, so you're like, how can someone say something like that or teach their children that, right? Mm. Obviously, I'm Mexican. My son's nine, and I have to teach him that there's going to be kids Mm. your age that Mm. are going to tell you shit like that. So the same way you, like, you got to say, well, who the hell teaches people that? Us as adults knowing that shit, now we have to teach our children that shit. And that's the shit, and I'm not going to lie, it gives me, like, fucking shivers when I have to explain this shit. Because mm-hmm. my, my son's nine. At any age, and this is one of those things where, how Joshua was saying, like, you didn't have to grow up no understanding that. Right. Right? A nine-year-old shouldn't have to grow up understanding that shit. That part. A five-year-old shouldn't have to grow up understanding that shit. We should all be able to raise our kids to just be little mocosos and do mm. whatever the fuck they want. Kids but instead, kids. some of us have to teach our kids that there are going to be other kids that have parents that aren't as nice and understanding as us. But I remember walking myself and thinking, man, I hope, I hope my daughters never get spoken to like that. I hope my daughters never have to experience that. But knowing they will. Right. And now I got to go back home and find a way to share my story with them so that they learn to be resilient, so that they learn to take that energy and transform it into something. Because after that, I worked my ass off to prove myself. To the bone. To the bone. And you should not have had to. That part. (sighs) As quiet as it's kept, the people who were like, who were holding that position hostage, like, didn't do half the shit and didn't know half the shit that you do. So I had a cousin who used to work there. Rest in peace. Uh, He was gang affiliated, came back from a background that, you know, didn't have resources or opportunities. So he, you know, he made some some bad choices in life. Um, He ended up working there with us and turned his life around, did really well. Like he had a 401k now. He had medical benefits. Oh, man, my cousin was was starting to feel like he was doing something and being able to now to provide or his family that didn't risk anything, right? I think maybe two, three years uh, into that job, he was brutally murdered and gunned down, died. That was it. So the police did not want to investigate. Like, you know, we kept trying to find answers to who killed him, what, how. 
And I remember I went to the um, to one of the owners because I knew that he knew like folks on the city, and I was trying to get him to help me out. Like, how do I find out? And I think I just caught him on a bad day, and I remember him telling telling me like, the OPD is not gonna worry about it. It's just another gang member dead. Mm. Was that him having a bad day, or was that him honestly speaking? I remember yeah. him being on his computer. And, and just kind of being like zoned out. So I, I know he heard me, obviously, right? But he wasn't giving me his undivided attention or looking at me or feeling me. And I want to believe that had he done that, he would have given me a different answer. But because he was zoned out, he said what he, the truth. Like, hey, it's just another gang member dead. His truth to it, casually and indifferently. And again, that goes back to why sometimes I'm like, there's no point. Like you, you, this is who, this is what you think. This is how you live life. What's the point? And I have a collection of stories like that, that even though that, you know, that's a reality and as hopeful or just kind of a loss of energy that I have and I feel right now, I know tomorrow is going to be a different day. The sun's going to shine and I'm going to be completely amplified to continue to have these conversations to educate folks from our generation, people like Bartley. So let's tie all this back in, yes? Yes. Okay. All right. Our basic necessities are this, right? Housing, food, healthcare. But these are the harsh realities that black people in America have to go through. Okay? Housing. It's difficult to obtain because they don't have the jobs that pay or the opportunities to obtain them because they're redlining. The redlining has already impacted these communities, right? They don't get granted loans because of their skin color, which means that, again, they can't access jobs. Then, furthermore, they don't have access to the best schools. They don't have the safe communities. So owning a home, it almost seems too far-fetched. Okay? Mm -hmm. This is housing. Food. Do you ever wonder how blessed we are here? And I'm just going to speak for myself when I say that. I have a Trader Joe's up the street. I have a Sprouts, I have a Whole Foods, I have grocery stores that carry organic, you know, from the farm, fresh to your door options, okay? People in low-income black communities don't have these options. And even even if they did, it's too expensive. Mm -hmm. They can't afford it, okay? Healthcare. Black people are discriminated and disrespected when it comes to their health, and they are improperly diagnosed and treated poor- poorly a thousand percent of the time. And I don't know, Jasper, if you have any healthcare stories that you would want to share. I don't really have statistics on this, but I do know this is a fact in healthcare when it comes to black people. I think that in, in my experience, I remember from the time I was like a very young teenager. Actually, prior to that, I got my period when I was 10 years old. Mm -hmm. And I noticed 
very quickly that my breasts were growing very unevenly. Mm. And the doctors were like, ah, don't worry about it. It's fine. It's okay. And then my period would come and I wouldn't get it for five, six, seven, eight months. And then it would mm. last like three, four months. Oh, wow. And the doctors were like, oh, your body's just adjusting all the oh. way up until I got into my 20s. And then I got a gynecologist who was a black woman. And finally, she gave me what I needed to go and get diagnosed with PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Wow. And up until that point, the doctors were always saying, it's your weight, it's your weight, it's your weight. But in researching PCOS, there is a correlation between that and between weight. But they don't know if the weight causes the condition or the condition causes the weight. Ah. And so it's a whole fucking thing. Mm. But that was like, what, a 15 plus year fight to just get a diagnosis so that I would understand what was going on with my body. Mm-hmm. That's not even like me being able to afford like dealing with it beyond that. Right, right, right. And that's the thing that happens to a lot of us all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Rest in peace, my Aunt Rosie. When it was, I always bring her all back into like, Rosie. it Every always time. comes back to her. It's always relevant. It is. When um, the lady who was helping, not she was the administrative person who was managing her case. When it was determined that she wasn't going to ever leave the hospital, and I couldn't get the doctors, there were five, five different doctor, doctors, I couldn't get them all on the same page. I couldn't get them to organize and all talk about what it was that was going to help remedy the situation, be it if she was going to die or survive it either way. The minute that it was determined, and I... I that was a moment of rage for me as well. My grandparents were there. Yeah. And so they had chairs. They were sitting down and they would always come every day to the hospital and sit in those chairs. When the administrative lady, a white lady, um, found out that that was it, it was done. She went and told my grandparents, I need you to get off of these chairs now because we need to use them for the hallway. And proceeded to tell my grandparents to get up, got them out of the chairs. And then, and my grandparents are 85, 80, they're, they were older, obviously. Right. And I went back and they were just standing in the room. The chairs weren't being used. And I, and I went back and just told the lady, I said, why did you take my grandparents out of the, the chair? I'm not even thinking that, I wasn't even thinking that it was, I was just thinking, I don't know what I was thinking now that I'm thinking about it. And she just said, well, your aunt's not going to go anywhere. Like it's done. We need the chairs in the hallway. That just weren't being used at all. That just went blank in the face and the rest was history. That's some bullshit. That's healthcare. And so then we have the education system, right? It fascinates me that the most powerful country in the world, access to everything, has the shittiest public education system, right? We have a lot of shitty systems. The shittiest healthcare system, the shittiest education system. America is like the definition of cutting corners. <laughs> so it's like you know what I'm saying? Corners. So when we look at education, um, low-income neighborhoods, black people and people of color have access to very little true quality education and just the the education that we are given right is a bunch of garbage yep right um another content recommendation just you know i just love 
little spurts of content recommendation. Um, this is about education in general, but is definitely worth watching. It's called Waiting for Superman. And it talks about the education system and as a whole and how disproportionate and unfair it is and who, who, who gets what education, right? And we see when, you know, going to college, right? We've seen this whole USC scandal where white people, people with power and money are bribing these schools to get their average ass child into their average ass child into an education <laughs> that they they don't deserve. Yeah. And <laughs> um and it goes back again to what we were saying earlier is that even if a black person gets an education and they get the job and they get the money. They have a shit ton of debt from this college degree that they just got themselves into, right? Majority of the time. And so, again, money. Money makes the world go round. If you have money, you have opportunity. And that's just, and that's how this world works. And um, just for closing, the white household has 10 times the wealth of a black person, which we already mentioned. And so we know that all of these things, the access to shelter, to food, to healthcare, to education, to money goes back to, to the um, where, you, where you received that money in the first place. The money is inherited. And we didn't get that kind of inheritance. Black people still don't have any kind of inheritance. And... We all have to do our part in researching every aspect of this. Like I said, the housing, the food, the healthcare, the education, and how unjust the system is. Right? Sorry, I'm a little scattered. May I say that. one thing before we go? No, please. Um, also, I think it's important to look up gerrymandering um, mm. and the way that um, places are zoned politically speaking mm. because they a lot of times are zoned to the, a disadvantage for people of color. Uh. Um, so gerrymandering. Gerrymandering. Thank you, Jasper. Also part of the documentary that I watched today was that um, if you're if you're a convicted felon, you mm -hmm. lose the right to vote. So oh, right. you didn't know that? Oh, I knew I knew that. Oh. But it affects people of color because a lot of these people are coming out of prison with felonies on the record and they can't vote. Right. So are they really being represented? Mm -hmm. The answer is no. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. of some bullshit law that was in place that I mean, you've paid your debt to society. Why sh why why are you continuing to pay after the fact? Right. 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 So do we have any other closing thoughts? Um, we do have recommendations, right? Um, how we can educate ourselves, what we can listen to, watch, read. Um, Ricky, do you want to go first? John Leguizamo's Latin History for Morons. It's on Netflix. Excellent show. It explains so much. Uh, what Happened, Miss Simone, also on Netflix. It's the story of Nina Simone and how she suffered with her music and how they tried to shut her up. 13th by Ava DuVernay, also on Netflix, excellent. Uh, the New Jim Crow, it's a book by Michelle Alexander, who was a huge resource for uh, the movie 13th. In the Country We Love by Diane Guerrero, uh, her story of immigrating to this country and the injustices. 
Freedom is a Constant Struggle by Angela Davis, also an important read. And then one of my favorites, Easy Light Read, but Intense Content, Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. Those mm. are my top, I don't even know how many I just listed. So I have um, the podcast 1619. Oh, yes. That's a I must. I have um, White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. I have um, Netflix uh, series Explained, the episode The Racial Wage Gap. I have Pedagogy of the Oppressed. I have When They See Us on Netflix. That's excellent, too. I have the movie Selma, mm. also by Ava DuVernay. I love Ava. Um, and the book So You Want to Talk About Race. May I? Please. I would say also... Listen to your friends and family who are people of color, even if they are not well-spoken, even if they cannot mm. fully articulate the concepts that they live. Mm. Listen with an open heart, listen with an open mind, and listen with the intent to dig deeper and find out more um, so that you can stand in solidarity with them. Because for a lot of us, it's kind of difficult to look back on the experiences of the people who came before us, to look back on the things even that we have experienced but if we are open with you in trying to get you to understand a part of our story the way that we understand it, because, right, if you don't understand the system and Bartley right. doesn't understand the system, like, why would I be expected to understand it word for word, law for law, right? right. So listen to the stories. Listen to the things that your friends who are people of color say about their experience as well with curiosity. Mm. Curiosity. That's it. Thank you, Jasper, for sitting here with us and I love you. being a part of this conversation. <laughs> I love you too. Thank you for asking me. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, and that's it, y'all. Increase the peace. Yeah. Thank you to everyone who joined us this week. I am Ricky Limota, and I'm joined by the beautiful Natalie Mota. And we're live from Rose City Sound Studio in the beautiful Inland Empire. Shouts out to Big Brother Jake for all of the love and support. Today's episode was produced by the infamous Juice Box Bartley. We are on this frequency. Make sure to share us, like us. We drop a new episode every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts, that's where you'll find us. Make sure if you have any questions, you got topics you want to talk about, hit us up, email us on this frequency at gmail.com. Support the movement, drop it like it's hot. See you later, y'all. Fucking shit falls.